What's up, everyone? This is episode number 11 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. It's been another fun week chatting back and forth with some of you on Instagram. I enjoyed seeing your patches after last week's episode. If you haven't shared yet, it's not too late for you to be a part of this. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and the hashtag was Patch101. So you guys know I've done 10 episodes so far. Most of those have been solo. I like that format, but, you know, sometimes it's nice to talk to an actual person. Well, there's quite a bit for us to talk about today. I wanted to bring back my lone guest that I've had on so far, since Adam. Now, just a disclaimer, for those of you that have listened before, you know that I like to keep things in the 30-minute range. That's not going to happen today. We're probably going to have to split this into two episodes, but instead of dragging it out, I'm going to give them both to you at the same time. So that way you still have the short podcast, but you got two of them. So a little bonus content this week. If we do that and it doesn't work, just let me know. Okay, Adam, since we've talked, I feel like you've shared a new superfractor every day on Instagram. How's it going? <laughs> You're kind to notice. It's going really well. Uh, thanks again for, for having me back. I'm excited to talk about the... Um, subject which you're kind of teasing at this point uh, today today with you you guys know adam from the two-part zion podcast um which neither of us even factored new orleans into the equation now adam i promised my listeners that i wouldn't give them too much zion too soon so you get 30 seconds here give me some some of your follow-up thoughts on the zion situation so i think the big question is what does new orleans do because they're going to be making a gamble either way, whether they keep Davis. But um, you think about those two guys, putting them together, and and the athleticism and the abilities that, that those two guys have over almost anybody else in the league, it feels very uh, difficult to combat at Holiday, and you've got an incredible, incredible defensive lineup. Basically, just add two more shooters after that, and, and you're set, you're ready to go. So... If I'm Davis, I have to be thinking really hard about what those other alternatives are out there. I don't know that anything looks a whole lot better than what New Orleans has to give him right now. I know. It's crazy. I heard Bill Simmons talked about it on his podcast. I want to talk about it, but we'll hold off. I promise. We will get. <laughs> we will touch on Zion many times this summer. Don't worry. And I shouldn't even bring this up, but in Topps Chrome, there's a basketball Topps Chrome card floating around. Um, I knew you'd bring that up. Oh, I shouldn't have said it. I really This is not planned in my intro here. I just can't help it. <laughs> Topps Chrome. So those of you who don't know, Topps Chrome is back in some capacity. We don't know what. That's all I'm going to say. Adam, I, I'm assuming you're a fan of that, even if they're kind of ugly looking so far. Yeah, I think it'll just be interesting to see who they get. Um, it seems like it's likely to be a, uh, obviously not a licensed product. And so, you know, it could have anywhere between the one rookie that we've already seen and, and several. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, two, there's two big guys coming out this year out of college. And if it has either Ja or Zion, that will be a really big deal. Um, and it could be a pretty big deal if it's one of the other guys. You know, we mentioned Lillard uh, in, in, in our episodes before. If it's somebody who's of that same sort of caliber, it, it could be a big deal for them to be in Chrome. All right, so... Aside from Zion, aside from Topps Chrome, aside, I'm not even going to talk about the playoffs and the fact that I bought another Zach Collins card this week and I bought some Myers Leonard cards. The industry as a whole has been talking quite a bit about PWCC. If you spend any time browsing cards on eBay before 
You probably have come across a, a couple of big sellers in the sports card industry, one named Probstein, the other named PWCC. These are two of the biggest consigners in the hobby. If you're not familiar with that term, it's not really exclusive to sports card, but a, cons- a consigner basically sells an item for somebody else. You might be thinking, well, I can sell cards by myself, but there actually are some perks to consigning. So Adam, for those of you who don't know, back in the day, Adam had his own podcast and he talked about, I think you had an entire episode on the two con- the two big consigners. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I did an episode, uh, it was one of the ones that was most listened to actually, that compared my experiences using Probstein123 and PWCC, which as you said, are, I think are the two largest consigners. Okay, so regardless of who you go with, can you just quickly explain the benefits of selling with a consigner? <laughs> there are a lot of benefits. I think one thing to mention here that mo- maybe more of the listeners can relate to is using ComC as a, as a consigner. The thing about ComC that is different about PWCC and Probstein123 is that they do uh, stuff that is very low end as well. So you can sell a card for as little as you know a dollar or a dollar fifty using ComC and have it still be a profitable venture for you. But I'll make this super simple and tell you why I why I've used the consigners. Um, and just first mention, I've only used PWCC twice. Uh, I like Probstein because they are able to get cards up significantly faster than PWCC uh, and they actually pay a higher rate. But there are a lot of people who use PWCC because they provide financing opportunities. They seem to get better prices. They seem a little bit more professional. There's more steps and handholding along the way and opportunities to review your items. But but uh, I started using them a couple of years ago, Probstein, and when I did it, I figured out really quickly that it needed to become sort of a more permanent part of my process. And what I mean by that is sometimes you buy singles or you buy a box and you open it or you buy a collection and you want to move those cards quickly. Well, well what became the bottleneck um, as I did that was very obvious and that was me, my time. Um, like a lot of us, I've got, I've got a lot of things going on in my life. And I've always really enjoyed the buying or finding something that I wanted to own, but I've never really liked selling. I don't like negotiating. I don't like packaging stuff up. I don't like pricing things. The great thing about using a consigner is you don't have to do any of those things. You basically take the stuff, you send it all to one place rather than doing a million little packages, and then you let them deal with it. And then when somebody comes back to you and says, hey, this isn't in the condition that I thought it would be in, or hey, such and such happened, where's my card, where's tracking, where's this, where's that, you don't, have to, you don't have to do any of that stuff. You let the consigner take care of all of it. And so it's just this really beautiful situation where at the end, you get paid for something and you don't do any, any work. And, and this is the real secret behind it, is that their rates are so good because they get a decreased rate from eBay that in some cases that you're actually making more money for selling something at the same amount by using them than if you were to sell it yourself. So you look at their rates, you know, if, if you're if you're counting what you would pay in eBay fees to sell something, what you would pay in PayPal fees to, to sell something, like that ends up being 13 point whatever percent, right, for, for the average person. But if you send your cards to Probstein or PWCC, they're able to take about that, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, 
but then again, they're doing all of the work. So it feels to me like you're actually getting more money for doing less work, which I think most of us generally like. Okay, so PWCC then is is one of these two big consigners like we mentioned. Um, the name PWCC, if I recall, it was originally like an online moniker for the CEO Brent, and it stood for pre-war card collector. Um, that, now, if we if we too. so if we look at their website, you know how do they describe themselves? And it says since 1998, PWCC has provided buyers and sellers of investment caliber trading cards with an efficient, honest, and predictable marketplace. So then he goes on, he says, compared to traditional brick and mortar auction environments, PWCC offers buyers and sellers a superior marketplace, principled in reduced transaction costs, faster turn times, and greater transparency. And I'm not here just to sling dirt on people, but not surprisingly, with more than two decades in this hobby, they've run into their fair share of controversy. Um, I'm not going to cover every incident in 20 years, but I do want to give you some context for some recent examples because this has kind of shaped um, some of the collectors online, some of their minds about PWCC. So we had a, there was a questionable sale of a 1936 Joe DiMaggio card. PWCC seemed like they were involved in the acquisition, the possibly altering, reselling, and then maybe even guiding someone through shilling it. We had the current director of business operations for PWCC. He was a former business partner in a company called Heroes of Sport. Then they committed a number of just awful acts in the hobby. PWCC didn't provide many details and instead defended their employee. They labeled him the salt of the earth. Which, anyway, hey, a little trivia for you, Adam. The, that phrase, well, for everyone, stems from a Jesus quote. But I'd like to point out that in the Middle Ages... And in places like Spain and Portugal, salt was poured onto the land owned by a convicted trader after their house was demolished. So yeah, no matter what side you believe, salt of the earth, right? Anyway, (laughs) in all of this controversy, um, probably none is more damning than the sheer volume of trimmed cards that have come to light in the last several weeks. So basically, Mm -hmm. PWCC, they've been used as a front to move altered cards in a way that lets the bad guys remain nameless and faceless. And this is not new in the last couple of weeks, but this is something that's really uh, been coming to the forefront of some of the message boards. Some of these were monster cards, including a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle, which we'll talk more about later. If you're not familiar with that card, I know I got a lot of basketball guys on here. If we were to create a Mount Rushmore of cards, this would be like the George Washington. Do you agree with that, Adam? Do you think that would be like the the main part of Rushmore? Oh, absolutely. I mean, people refer to it as the mantle rookie, even though it's not his rookie. It's it's the first top set. It's the high, you know, the, the high series, the impossible card to find. It's got sort of the image that's it's got to be the most famous image of a sports card. It's it's kind of like, and not to veer off too much, but we talked about with the Ben Simmons. Um, silver in that it was rare but also attainable. So like there, even though the mantle, obviously it's a super rare card, but there's for what it is, there's plenty of them out there. You know, it's not like the Honus Wagner T206 or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, all of these cards that were altered or whatever, the, the vast majority of them were graded. Um, I'm going to keep this brief, but for those of you that are new to collecting, there are third-party authenticators that you can send cards to, They'll render an official opinion on a card's condition, and then they'll encapsulate it. Um, these opinions are very respected in the market, and they influence a card's value quite a bit. So while the grading companies need to share a lot of this responsibility, 
Many people have looked on on PWC as being one of the biggest movers of these altered cards. So anyway, it was around the same time that PWCC released a first draft of their new marketplace tenants. The timing of everything to me shows that they were, you know, definitely feeling the heat of the situation. So kudos to the people that put in a lot of the work that helped to make this happen. The targets of these trimmed cards are usually names like Trout, you know, LeBron, Tom Brady, but I would say the floodgates really opened up when a number of uh, vintage baseball and football cards came to the forefront, and then a poster came out with a list of 93 trimmed Curry and Harden rookie cards. So uh, that was one that uh, definitely got a lot of attention. Um, So then where we're getting to, and I know I'm trying not to be too long-winded here, but last Sunday night... PWCC's CEO, Brent, he went on an interview show called Cardboard Chronicles, which is hosted by a guy named Josh, to discuss altered cards and some of the changes coming within his company. Collectors have had a lot of tough but fair questions for him, and they were looking forward to those answers um, or to see if those questions were asked. So with all of that being said, Adam and I are going to have a discussion on the discussion. Okay. Brent starts this whole thing off, and, I, and I'm going to try and pull quotes from this. I'd like for you know for him to be able to speak in his own words. And he goes right into another hot topic lately where he, he tries to define the terms conservation and alteration. So for conservation, he's saying that if a card is conserved, there's no evidence. And you can look at the card 30 or 20 times in different lights and, and see that there's nothing there that's changed, nothing to see. Whereas alteration is just the opposite. There's evidence that a card was trimmed, it's been recolored, it's been cleaned in a way that isn't natural, like say with a chemical. Um, And he says that it's been part of this market from the very beginning and that he's ready for our market to mature and accept that. Adam, what are your initial thoughts on that? Well, I have to say this is, uh, you know, as you, as you and I were talking about at the beginning, before we started the interview, this is this is such a big, a big topic, and you know, I would largely just sort of applaud both Josh and Brent for for having a conversation, attempting to to discuss these things, and recognizing that they're painting with a really broad brush. Um, so, so in answer to your question, as we talk about the the conservation piece. Um, but I've heard of things. Remember how we referred referred to like spooning out a card? Um, I remember uh, people talking about that when when I was young. I remember uh, people talking about folding back corners that have that had sort of been bent up. And the way that the way that he kind of sought to define these things, I thought was interesting. And, and I think you just said it really well. And that is basically he's saying that there are things that you can do to a card that aren't adding to it or taking away from it of how of how the, the card was produced. So he he talked about, you know, like a pencil mark and, and erasing that and and talked about like how that is taking it back to how the card was was actually originally produced by removing something from it. And he's defining that as conservation. Um, right. As long as there's no actual evidence, right? That was the big thing. Yeah, so I think what he's what he's getting at is he's saying, hey, if it's impossible to look at the card, you know, on its own and see that see that something has happened to it, then how can we sort of expect a grading company to say that it has been 
adjusted in a way that is that is negative. I think that's what they're getting at. And I think it's fair for him to say that. I think they're in a tough spot. If you can't see it, you can't see it. Right. And I don't expect them to pour over every completed sale in their archive and try and match up pictures on cards that are not serial numbered. Now, what I do find interesting is he mentions comics and coins and fine art, and he doesn't want to use the term restoration, which I think this sounds more, to me, it's more restoration than it is conservation. And I don't think that's just a matter of technicalities. And even in those markets, the coins and the comics and the fine art, at least, you know, I talked to some people that know way more about those than I do. It's a completely different ballgame because restoration, like let's say the Mona Lisa, right? There's only one Mona Lisa. So all changes to it are going to be documented. So for that piece to move throughout history, there has to be restoration. And and I think that's accepted. Um, Comics need to be restored because they literally will fall apart. There is not, even on a card like the 52 Manon, we we talked about it already. There are plenty of those out there. Mm. So it's it's not a case of, you know, we've only got one one of these and we've got to keep it maintained at all cost. And even with comics and art, from what I've understand that all changes are that are, are they're documented and they affect the value quite a bit. And we kind of alluded to this. He says we can no longer take stances on things that we can't enforce. Um, so I, I don't envy him for being in that spot. And then we see that there are some of them, such as in this case, that are spotted after the fact. So then he goes on and he says, we're not a prograding company and we're certainly not going to try to insert ourselves in that decision. So the conversation is already starting to shift a little bit. He's, they spent a lot of time talking about conservation versus alteration, but the conversation is shifting now to the grading companies. I don't think you can have this conversation and not mention the grading companies. Right. Um, well, I'll talk about this more later too, but I think he has... Um, a lot of influence maybe with grading companies. I don't know. I don't know Brent personally, but I would say that a lot of his business relies on it. And I would say that their business benefits from his business. I think you're right that he, he definitely, um, he definitely has a relationship with them. Um, I think he, he basically acknowledges that throughout the, throughout the interview. Right. And he probably should. You know, as, as, as a guy who's selling, I mean, they're, they're selling millions of dollars a year and, and they're, they're facing a lot of these things right now. It's probably a good thing that he does have that relationship. Yeah. So Josh followed up with a, a question, you know, basically asking if PSA and PWCC were on the same page. I, I think that was a, a good question. And Brent goes into the different um, alteration designations. Um, so his argument is basically that the grading company should should take some time to update their terminology in ways that would be more consistent with how the market actually behaves today. And then so Josh follows up once again. And mind you, Brent has just said, we're not a pro grading company and we're certainly not going to try and insert ourselves in that decision. Josh says, well, you know, especially when you're saying like a PSA grades this as a seven and we think that this is more of a higher end seven. Now, that wasn't Josh's question, but I would stop right there because Brent never refuted that. He's saying we're not going to insert ourselves into the grading game, but then they write these long, elaborate descriptions of not only is this a, a 6 or a 7, but it's a high-end 7. Even with the, the Jordan PMG Green, in our opinion, this card is not altered. 
what are your thoughts on that? I think I think it's a really good question. I think they're they're attempting to walk a really pretty fine line. You know, it's pretty common to see sellers, other sellers say things like, I think this is undergraded, or I think, you know, I think that this might receive a bump. And and it feels like, although they don't use that vernacular, you know, they use sort of um, higher level, more professional language as they describe their cards. They do, uh, you know, they do give certain designations. They'll they'll include sort of like a, a, a sticker on a graded card that sort of indicate that it's uh, of a higher quality or, you know, within that grade that it fits in a higher quality and things like that. And so it's interesting because as a consigner, you know, if you're selling sending cards to them, you like that they do that. They certainly don't do that for every card. I think that's fair to acknowledge here. They do it uh, sometimes. I think they do it where they see fit. And sending them a card to having them sell and then having them take that time with it is, is considered a positive if you're, if you're selling it. But then in, in this quote uh, that he shared with Josh, he's, you're right. He's saying, you know, we don't want to insert ourselves in, in that. You know, we don't want to be the greater. And I, again, I don't, know, I don't know Brent. I've had one conversation with him. I think what he's trying to say here, though, is I don't want to be the guy who's, like, responsible for grading. That's not what our company does and that's not what we want to do and so i agree that it is walking it is walking an interesting line because it, it, you can, i can see somebody kind of saying hey i don't think you should be able to both say i don't want to be a greater and take this other stance i don't think he's doing anything evil or, or bad there but but i can see that it is walking a, a pretty fair uh difficult line to walk yeah it, it doesn't all it just doesn't sit well with me like you said he's walking the thin line and he's walking on both sides of it but we'll, we'll continue here. I want us everyone to see the, the full context then, I guess, of what was said. So Josh then asked him kind of about the support, if he's in line with the grading companies. And um, Brent says that grading companies are going to have to look at their policies and decide for themselves where they stand. I, I agree with that. He said then that PWCC, that they are taking the lead to get this topic discussed and that he hopes the grading companies will use their own language to consider what's being discussed and consider updating. Personally, I feel like that's not as, it sounds like they're being very proactive here. But for those of you who aren't following the situation, I don't feel like they're taking as much of a lead on this as he indicates. Or maybe they are still taking the lead, but I think his hand was forced. Mm. I think it's more of a reaction than them being proactive. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, you see this, one of the things that I always, I always try to say is like, you try to see these from, see this from different people's perspectives, right? And so from the perspective of, of PWCC, you know, the first couple times that you see an altered card passing through there and, and, and them being, as you, as you said, being used as a front for selling altered cards, I think, you know, you can kind of see them sort of crossing their fingers, hoping that that doesn't happen, hoping that it goes away, hoping that it isn't a public issue. And, and, and it's become an extremely public issue, right? It's something that is now well known in the hobby to be an issue. And so now that it's an issue, he's kind of forced. Uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's exactly right. You're, you're right. I think you've corrected yourself the right way too. They're probably leading the way in it, but it's not like they jumped out in front of this and said, hey guys, guess what's happening? We need to take care of this. I think the issue now is they want this market to grow. They want it to become more of, a, of, a, of an understood investment vehicle. 
And that's something that he said publicly. I think he, he believes that and he, he wants that. And the, the reasons are, are obvious because we love cards and because it's good for their business. It's not a good business move for him, you know, if all of this weren't happening to say, hey, guys, you know, there's some altered cards out there. You know, we've sold a lot of altered yeah. cards. We're going to take the lead in fixing this yeah. um, when no one had seen them to begin with. Now, I, you know, obviously there was a lot of there's a there's some history there and there were some suspected acts, but that wouldn't be a great business decision. No. You're, you're- uh, however, now, because he never did that. Now he, I think they're in an even worse situation that they cre- that they you know fostered. Yeah, I think he he, he talked about this during the interview. He, he you know they are aware that this has likely been going on, but it feels like it's more out in the open and it's more clear and maybe the magnitude of it is is maybe more clear than than it than it was before. And so now that that is out there, it's a potentially harmful thing to our hobby and to their business to not address it. And so as a business owner, my guess is that he is saying, what is the best move for me to make for my business? And in general, what's good is I think he, he believes that that aligns with, with what's good for the hobby. And, and that's up for debate and for discussion. But I, I think that's why they chose to address it now is it was no longer sort of something that they could just ignore. Yeah, and and I think he knows, you know, obviously they have a huge influence in the hobby. One thing that's concerned me a little, not just with this interview, but with some of their responses to these situations, and they had an Instagram post where basically they're telling people what the majority of collectors think or what they perceive. So it's like they're writing the script, but then there's a lot of times or several times where collectors have said, no, that's not what we think, or no, that's not the norm in this hobby. And he's trying to define that. And that's kind of, you know, if he's not careful, that could be an abuse of power. Yeah. You're, I think you're, I think you're spot on that they have the ability to do that. I think you're talking about a couple of posts that we all saw. We saw one that, um, SP authentic, I don't know the, his, his full username, but it's, I think it's SP authentic 84 or something like that. Um, and, and his his take on it, again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think his take is, look, why don't you let me figure out whether I think that this thing is altered or conserved or whatever. What do you, you know, just tell me what you know about it. And I think what PWCC would say would be, I want, I, I will tell you, you know, what, what I can tell you about this card. But in general, we're not telling you the things that even the graders can't see. And this is where this line is really a funny line, right? Like if a card goes up on on PWCC for auction and then it turns out that an image is found that indicates that this card has later been has later been conserved. That is it hasn't been trimmed, it hasn't been, you know, hasn't had chemicals add, added to it. It hasn't had anything really taken to or added from the from the card that you can that you can actually see and notice that's not original, right? You know, mm-hmm. what are they what are they supposed to do in that moment because if they end the item altogether, it puts this and this is something that Brent talked about. It puts the auction process really like it harms it because then because then as a buyer you're going, okay, why was this ended? And if we're going to end it for every time something looks like it may have been changed, it, it's a slippery slope for PWCC. Now, I'm not saying that shouldn't happen. If I send a car to PWCC to sell and they list it, and again, it's graded by PSA, nobody can tell that it's been conserved. If nobody can tell that it's been changed. And then 
PWCC says, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to end this. Then I'm like, what the heck, man? Like I already waited a month for you to list this thing. Now you're going to, now you're going to end it. And then all those people are going to, are going to question like, what's the story there? And on the buyer's side of it, they're like, but no, I have a right to know that. So where the conversation needs to go, and I think Brett was getting at this, where the conversation needs to go is what is considered acceptable and what is not considered acceptable. That was actually a question I had written down to ask you next. So I want you to think about your answer. Okay. Okay. If you're in their situation and you discover one that's been conserved using their terminology, what do you do? So you think about that. Okay. In the meantime, while you're thinking, this is a perfect segue into the 52 Mantle. And I know this is a basketball card podcast, but this is a pretty big deal for the industry as a whole. So I, it's worth discussing. Um, Josh brought up the 52 Mantle, and it, this you know sparked a lot of debate over the last couple weeks. There was some evidence that came out that it looked like the card was conserved. And basically, PWCC responded by saying, well, we found that it's conserved, but we don't feel the need to change the, the description of the item that's being listed and we're just going to let it run as it is. So Brent then mentioned that he, okay, the card was graded a four and a half. He saw a picture then of the card when it was raw that somebody posted online and it looked like it had been cleaned. And he said that he had only seen the picture once, but it's clear that it had been conserved on some level. Now, first off, if I'm consigning a $60,000 item, and a, a picture of a matching card in a different condition comes up, I think you should look at it more than once. I think it's crazy to me. You're going to look at that picture once and then pass it off. That was just the beginning. After that, he then said, well, before and after pictures are not evidence. So he's saying it's important to note that what before, before and after pictures provide us is digital record of what may have occurred, but evidence as we define it is physical evidence, and it's on the card itself. So... That was their situation. They basically said, well, there's pictures of it being changed, but there's not physical evidence on the card. We don't want to disrupt the market process like Adam talked about. eBay doesn't allow you to edit the description once the auction starts. It's just not a functionality that eBay affords us. That's the term that he used. Yeah. But Adam, well, what, do, what, what should they do? What do you think is the proper course of action here? I think it's really hard. Because again, if I'm the buyer, I don't like, I don't like that you're ending it. Or sorry, if I'm the seller, if I'm a buyer though, you know the beginning and the beginning and uh, the the before picture and the after picture. I I think you're right. Brent was probably a little disingenuous that he only looked at it once. I think he probably knew more about it, but I, I don't actually know that that's relevant to this situation. When I looked at it, the one thing that stood out is, and I don't have it in front of me right now, but on the before picture, if you looked at the back, there was I think it was the bot the top left corner if I remember right had a really dark ink stain and that that dark ink stain seemed to go away and so my question is well, what can what can you do to something to make a dark ink stain go away and make it appear original and I'm not an expert on this I don't know how to change a card to, to, to make it do that but but I, but I think that what, what he was getting at that, it, that is really worthy of sort of conversation is historically you look at a card, the, the process of grading a card is you take a card, you put it down, you, you, know, you pull out the, the jeweler's loop, the, the, the light with the magnifying glass, you look at it and you check it for everything and you look for evidence that, 
things have been altered and things have been changed or whatever. When you do that, when you go through that process, if you don't find anything, as, PD, as PSA apparently didn't because they created the card, then is the card considered sort of unaltered? Or the term that he's using is conserved. Is, is, that, is that acceptable? Because what we're saying, I think, and I think you and I fall in line on this, is what we're saying is, but if there's evidence out there that exists in the world on the internet, in the, you know, out there in the ether, isn't that sort of evidence like admissible to the, to the grade? And, and, and as of right now, I don't think it is. You know, I don't think PSA is out there like looking online to see what a card was beforehand. But I think collectors are now saying, but, but we have it. Like I can, I'm looking at it. Like, isn't this really evidence? And I think that's a fair question. But from PSA's perspective, I think it's also fair to say, wait a second, our job is to look at this card. It's not to go out and research the history of it. Our, our job is to look at it and see if there's anything that we can see with the eye under magnifying glass that shows that this has been altered and we don't see that. And so I just think it, so in answer to your question, man, I think it's, I think it's a really hard situation and I don't envy them. And I wouldn't, if I was a buyer or if I was a seller, I wouldn't want them to end it. But if I was the buyer, I would want to know that it had been changed. So how do you how do you do something with that given that eBay doesn't allow you to change the auction? I don't know what the answer is. I mean, you're not going to drop $60,000 on a card that's conserved. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe you do. Let me ask you this. So so you just said, and is, is it okay if I ask you this? This is your show. Is it okay if I ask you a question? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So you said you wouldn't spend 60000 on a card that has been conserved. Now, if ink has been removed from a card, that feels to me like we're right on the line of something where it's like, wait a second, like, am I okay with that? But, but you would spend a lot of money on a prism card that, that somebody had used a microfiber cloth on. And so, so, we're, so my guess is that you're okay with, with that, second form, that second form of conservation. Am I right about that? Yes. And then, so, or, or, so then, then, you know, I, and I, honestly, I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about like a pencil yeah. mark. I mean, I've, I don't, I can't think of a specific instance, but I figure like I've had cards that for lack of a better term had crud yeah, on them. Exactly. And, and I scraped it off, okay. you know, um, I, so I don't know. I don't know what I think about that yet. That's why it's good to have these conversations. Let me give you, let me give you actually a real, a very real um, example. And, and this is what I talked about at the beginning where I said we, we're, we're painting with a broad brush. This is the stuff that we need to get to. And I hope this is the stuff that PWCC really looks at to determine what they think is, is okay and not. And, and frankly, more than PWCC, the graders, I think, need to look at this. So I just bought a card a couple days ago on eBay. It's a... It's a, a Wilt Chamberlain card. Um, it's a foreign card. The Mira, I don't know how to say the second word, from 1968. You guys can go look it up. It's a great card. It doesn't surface very often. And when it does surface, it's usually graded. Most of them are lower grade qualities. But apparently these were in like, I don't know if they were in sticker books or what they were in, but it's clear to me that there's something on the back of this card, right? There's something that's there. I don't know what it is. And I can't tell, maybe part of the card is removed. It's just in terrible condition, but it's a really rare card. Now let's say that I get that card in the mail, I look at it real close and I recognize that the card has stuff on it that is easily removable. Is it okay for me to do that? Now some people are screaming at the podcast right now, no, like you never remove something, <laughs> but like, 
is that really true? Like if you had a prism card where somebody had accidentally gotten some tape on it and, and by removing the tape, it literally doesn't change the card at all. Is that wrong? Like, I'm going to tell you, I don't think, I don't think the answer to that is right. yes. I think that the answer is, is, is pretty, is pretty close to what they said, which is it's not changing the card in its original way. I'm not comfortable with bleach or with chemicals. I'm not. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with erasing a mark right. from a card either, which which Brent said that he is. But I, I do get that if, if the grader can't tell that that's – it's not enforceable. That's something that he kept going back to. It's not enforceable. Um, but what do you think about my Wilt Chamberlain card example? Is it – is it wrong to remove something that's clearly foreign from the card if it's if it's removable without sort of without like chemicals and conditioning the card? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, if it's like um, something that can be scraped off, it wasn't there. Uh, see, this, this is even weird having this conversation because uh, it is such a weird line. But yeah, if you can scrape it off, I, I guess I think that's okay. It's not changing the the structure of the card in any way um but then there are some even more gray areas like with soaking a card in distilled water which i've never done but i've heard on a lot of the older baseball cards um you can soak stains out and i think that's what happened with this one because there's a picture of it with a paper towel and they blotted a lot of the moisture out or whatever about the mantle um the mantle yeah i'm sorry so they, it's it's actually sort of confirmed that they that they soaked the mantle i missed that i don't know if that's been okay. confirmed but it's it's even brent acknowledged that it, it had definitely been cleaned it looks like it's been cleaned so i'm that's the what i'm leaning towards what i think happened but i don't know a lot about soaking cards that's something that's kind of new to me because you know i collect like tops total so <laughs> i don't know uh much about tops that Tops total is awesome don't soak your tops total cards but i mean look i've been doing this for a long time right and done a lot of vintage but i've never been the guy who gets vintage cards graded and i've never been the guy who's like trying to figure out how to I mean, clearly i've never been the guy to figure out like what you do to a card to make it be graded better right my favorite my favorite card which was brought up in that in in the, the mantle thread actually was my my Wilt Chamberlain PSA 168 Tops test card, right? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm in it for the cardboard more than just the condition. There's some stuff that, that I really care about condition, but most stuff, it, it's not actually something that I really care about. I don't know how, like, these soaking, how soaking in with chemicals and without, like, I don't, I don't know about that. But it seems to me that if I'm a buyer and, and there's evidence Again, away from the card itself, not just the card on the table, but electronically, there's evidence that that is findable that shows that this card has been changed. It doesn't feel very good to me that that I can't know that if it's if it's knowable. You know, if, if you if you know it as the seller, right. it feels like I should know it. But again, if I'm PWCC, how do I how do I tell you about that without sort of influencing the selling process and I, th I personally think I'll put my hand in the air and say I think that's a reasonable sort of question that they're asking and and I don't know the answer yeah I think it's good that I think well one I think more people need to be involved in the conversation because that way the collectors actually can speak you know we need to hear from the vintage the just exclusively vintage baseball guys we need to hear from people of all different sectors of the market and and maybe Maybe that can help us come to consensus. I think that's what maybe P PWCC was trying to do a little bit with their tenants. And they said, you know, we're going to post it on the board for discussion. The problem is they don't actually stay there and discuss right. it. 
Um, number one, because they're going to get ripped apart. But number two, it, it doesn't really seem like that's actually what they want. They just want to throw ideas out there and then see what sticks and what doesn't. And then basically collectors have talked about it without PWCC having to say anything that could jeopardize their business. I think we'd all like it if they'd stay there more, you know, longer in the in the public forum because, you know, I think you, both you and I historically have tried to ask them questions in those moments and we haven't gotten answers back. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of understand why that, uh, you know, the, the, the vast majority of the voices on those boards are, are not are not listening to, to the to the answers. The the voices are more there to condemn and to, to, to say negative things to them. And I don't know that that's a healthy place to do it, but I wish they would stay longer, kind of like you. And it's on that note that we're going to conclude part one of our discussion today. I really appreciate you joining us. Um, if you wish that we would stay longer, good news. Part two is already uploaded. It's ready to go. It's my gift to you this week. As always, if you have questions for me in the meantime, hit me up on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. If you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.